Well, look, for those of you who weren't with us for the last couple of weeks, we took a short hiatus from our summer teaching series to share and explore the fact that as a church, we are going to be launching Alpha again in October. Just a show of hands to get us warmed up. How many people have been on an Alpha course? Just look around, just look around. So reading on their website um, this week, Alpha now operates in 100 countries, in 100 languages, and over 24 million people have been on an Alpha course. So it is really one of the leading ways to help our friends and our families, for those people who are in our lives, to get to know Jesus that bit better. Um, we'll invariably be uh, hearing a lot more about Alpha over the, the coming, coming weeks. Um, and maybe you've uh, written down those cards where you've got some people who are on your heart who you're keen to invite. Keep those close to you and let's, as a church, be on the front foot in inviting our friends uh, and our family and those who we're really keen to see get to know faith a little bit better. But it's my privilege to pick back up our summer season, to pick back up our series that we've called Spotlight, uh, uncovering a little bit more about the character of God. And what a great moment it is to focus on a series like this. As Patrick said, in the autumn, uh, we're going to be doing our vision uh, season. And it's so important, I think, that when we start to think about how we're going to serve God, it's important to know who we're serving first. And so that's really the nature of this series, Spotlight. And this week, our focus is on that small topic of the knowledge of God. For the theologians amongst us, uh, this is often called the omniscience of God. Don't ask me to spell that, it's omniscience. I think that's the simplest way of remembering. And it's a theme that the Bible helpfully explores a lot. Perhaps um, none more so than in the Psalms. I love the fact that you called out the Psalms as a favorite part of your uh, Bible, Patrick. It's a place that we're going to spend a bit of time in today. Take one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 139, verse 1 to 4. It reads, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And it's my hope to unpack similar verses like this as we journey together this morning. But if you're anything like me, in spite of how much the Bible tells us about the knowledge of God, it's maybe not a topic you spend perhaps a huge amount of time reflecting on. I mentioned to my boss uh, this week, he's kind of like my, my barometer for someone who uh, doesn't go to church, what they kind of reflect and think on. Um, and he said too, it's not something I necessarily spend all that much time thinking about when it's sort of thinking about what this concept of God is like. But I'm going to try and put to you today that it's a, a topic I think well worth our consideration. And strangely though, our knowledge, the, the knowledge of people, of humans, is a topic that has become a, a defining characteristic of ours. It's a constant topic of conversation through the ages. And as I observe in today's world, it's a topic perhaps more seminal than almost any other. 
So before we explore God's knowledge, I almost just want to contrast it by exploring a little bit of human knowledge first. So let me begin by saying this. I think it's fair to say that the kind of growth of knowledge in us as people has fueled much of the progress we see around us today. You just think of kind of scientific breakthrough, breakthrough in our knowledge of science, how many health challenges globally that's helped us overcome. Our knowledge of the things that are going wrong in the world is helping us progress human rights. Maybe you're looking around and you're seeing the accessibility of information making life easier. Can you imagine a world without Google or YouTube today? Just the other week, um, Matilda, our daughter, she went from being five months old to six months old, which is a seminal moment because your pram changes. And all of a sudden, I had this situation facing me where I had absolutely no idea how on earth I was going to evolve this pram to suit her next season. So who do I talk to? I talk to YouTube, right? And they serve up this wonderful little tutorial, minute and a half, it's about as much concentration time as I've got, which is ideal. So YouTube and Google, imagine a world without the accessibility of information. I am one, I'm grateful for the age of information that I think we live in. But in the last 20 years, knowledge has gone far beyond what it ever was. It's gone from a mere characteristic of the human race to a craving of the human race. It seems as though enough knowledge is no longer enough. Knowledge has become this commodity traded like never before. You just need to turn on the TV and see governments vying for knowledge about their neighbors. Did you know Interesting fact for you, there are more Russian spies in the US today than at any other time in the last 15 years, vying and desperately trying to uncover information and knowledge about their neighbor. I started my career at one of the UK's biggest consumer goods firms, and we'd spend hours weekly getting to know what the competition were up to. And as people, never before have we ever been so interested in what we eat and what one another eat. Never before have we been interested so much in these holidays that our mates seem to permanently be on. We had a, an estate agent come and visit us the other week to value our house. And he was telling us about his 15-year-old daughter who now has thousands of followers on YouTube to her fashion channel. And she's only 15. Our a craving of knowledge has never been like this before. Intellectual property has become seriously hot property. And as a human race, we crave knowledge and trade information like never before. But perhaps the most obvious proof point of our craving for knowledge comes in the business world. Take Apple, the largest company in the world, soon to be the first company valued at over a trillion dollars, known for their iPhones and their Macs. But their success comes because of what they can do. Their devices are designed primarily to process our information, to help us share our knowledge, whether it be music, files, messages, apps. Today, more people have smartphones than they do toothbrushes. Take Google, the world's second largest company in the world. Their corporate website describes their very purpose as organizing the world's information to make it universally accessible and useful. 
My goodness, don't they do that well? Did you know they process 40,000 searches a second? That's three and a half billion searches every day. And you know how many searches they processed just 20 years ago? Zero, they didn't even exist. How things have changed. And what about their friends across Silicon Valley? A show of hands if you have looked at Facebook or Instagram this morning. Show of hands, a show of hands. Okay, I'm gonna need you to be honest with me. Keep your hands up if it was the first thing you did this morning. Excellent, I love the honesty. And now keep your hands up if it was also the thing you did last thing at night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't it funny? Even in, our, even in our sleep time, we are uncertain whether something cool has happened on our Facebook feed that we maybe need to know about. Did you know, get this, almost an hour a day on average is spent on Facebook and Instagram, an hour a day. That's almost the same amount of time people spend eating. It's almost four times the amount of time people spend doing sports or exercise. And it's almost 15 times the amount of time people spend in social events. And worryingly, worryingly for some, many of these ratios are only going in one direction. And yet, what is so stark in a world obsessed with knowledge, in a time where we've never had more knowledge, we, you, I, your friends, your families, your loved ones, in all of recorded history, have never been less known. Do we have any London commuters amongst us today? Anyone uh, have to battle Southwest trains on a morning? Yeah. Take your typical half hour train journey, right? At a click of a button, you could pretty much find the answer to any question during your commute. Yet, the chances of someone finding out anything about you are pretty much nil. The UK Office of National Statistics reports that over 45% of people experience loneliness to varying degrees. 5% of people always or very often are experiencing loneliness. 5% doesn't sound like many, very much. That's three million people in the UK. And statistically, that's five people in this room today experiencing loneliness every single day. In spite of the opportunities to share and receive knowledge about our friends through social media, they estimate that one in eight of us has no close friends, not really known by anyone, and that's up 25% in just four years. And so lies this strange paradox that characterizes us as humans. Full with knowledge, but starved of being known. And against this backdrop, thank God for God. I love what you said earlier, Patrick, that God is never changing. And this is one area and one characteristic of God we're going to explore that has never changed. So what is the knowledge of God like? And here's the moment that as I was preparing for today that my mind just got blown time and time again because the calculation of God's knowledge is pretty much impossible to fathom. And here it is. For God to be God, perfect, sovereign, all-powerful, he must have no imperfections. And like us, hunting around constantly for kind of new news, 
He has no imperfections in his knowledge. He has no gaps in his knowledge. Take this one step further. It means he's never had to sit at the feet of a teacher. It means he's never had to learn a single thing. It means he's always known everything, does always know everything, and will always know everything. Just pause for a moment and just try and wrap your head around that. For God to be truly God, he's never had to learn a thing. God's knowledge is infinite, past, present, and future, unchanging. That is the knowledge of God. You see, God isn't just this kind of more impressive version of us. He's in an entirely different league. And thankfully, the scriptures are full of passages that help us peel back the layers of God's knowledge. So let's explore those together. Let's start in perhaps what we would consider to be the broadest possible sense, thinking about the universe. Psalm 147 this time, verse four, the psalmist declares, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Let's pause and think about that for a moment. If I told you that scientists have calculated that there are more stars in our universe than grains of sand in the world, and God knows every single one of those stars by name. Just to give a little bit of contrast to human knowledge again. We, um, the most advanced pinnacle of creation, I think as we like to think of ourselves as, can hold about 150 names in our mind at any one time. And maybe with a fair wind and a bit of encouragement, that might be a few hundred. There's a billion stars in our galaxy. And there's a billion galaxies. And guess what? God knows the name of every single star. And that's just the stars. That is the knowledge of God. But it goes deeper. His knowledge isn't just about knowing names, it's intimate. At the end of the creation story in Genesis 1.31, he tells us, then God looked over all he had made and he saw it was excellent in every way. He intimately knows what he's made. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a BBC documentary, maybe some of you saw it, about Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. If you've never been to Mexico, it is a wonderful place to start. The east, it's the easternmost section of Mexico, uh, near Guatemala. And it's a natural phenomenon made of almost entirely limestone. And what makes it really interesting is there are no major rivers anywhere in this thousand square mile peninsula. And that's because limestone as a porous rock means the water goes through the surface. And instead, those rivers run underground. And what they were saying on this documentary is that only 10% of that whole river system has ever been seen by the human eye or touched by human hands. But as I was reflecting on what I was hearing in this documentary, I recognized that for God, he knows every nook, every detail of those rivers, every undiscovered piece of plant life, every fish we've never seen. And that's just the Yucatan Peninsula. As Genesis says, he looks upon creation and with intimate knowledge, he says, it is excellent. But perhaps the aspect of God's knowledge that the Bible writes more about than any other is not his knowledge 
of the universe or of creation, but his knowledge of us as people. Let's return to our passage we read at the beginning. Psalm 139, 1-4, David writes, again I'll repeat, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. David helpfully shows us the intricacy of God's knowledge for us. Let's explore it together. Firstly, he says he discerns our going out and our lying down. He knows when we sit and when we rise. That is, he knows the daily cycle of our lives between the moment we get up and the moment we go to sleep. He knows everything we do in our day. And for many of us, this may well be really good news because how many of us do things that never get seen, that never get praised, never get admired? My wife, Katie, she diligently looks after our daughter, Matilda, most days. Maybe there's other parents here who take the weight of daily childcare and no one ever really sees the hard work you put in. Maybe you're a full-time carer. Maybe you're someone who bought a homeless person their dinner last night and saved them from going hungry again. When no one else sees what you do, God sees what you do. And he discerns that. Isn't that freeing? Take rest today, if that's you, that God knows you and God sees you and God affirms you. But God's God's knowledge goes yet deeper. God doesn't just know what we do. David also writes that he knows our thoughts too. Other translations says he understands our thoughts. Again, let's put this in context. It's, it's, it's believed that on average, we have about 50,000 thoughts every day as an individual. And God perceives every single one. But again, it goes deeper. God's knowledge goes beyond just what we've done and what we do and what goes on in our mind. At the core of us, he also sees the invisible. He also sees what's going on in our hearts. Psalm 44, 21, again, we're in the Psalms. It says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would God not discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Romans 8, 27, describes God as the one who searches our hearts. Acts 15, verse 8, reminds us that God knows our hearts. Let me share a little story of mine, uh, of things of the heart. During my teenage years and on into my uni years, it's fair to say that I was uh, a real approval addict. Uh, What other people said about me and thought of me, if I'm really honest, mattered more than what God did. And I think what was behind this was that I had a real fear of letting other people down. Maybe you can empathize with me. If I've ever didn't get the grades or didn't make the team or even didn't make the invite list or things like that, I would almost feel as though the ground was going to open up beneath me. What I didn't realize at the time is that there was a war being waged in the battlefield of my heart. So often I try to try and hide the lows and then would try and indulge the highs and what resulted was this kind of really positive persona faking it till I would make it. 
And God forbid I'd ever put at risk what people thought of me. It was hard work keeping up appearances. Sometimes I'd even lose sleep when a loose comment I'd made the day before um, would almost cause me to become nervous about how it would reflect on me. But whilst I managed to keep the secret what was going on in my heart to those surrounding me, it increasingly became evident that God, in his infinite knowledge, knew every detail of my struggle. As in Psalm 139 again, in verse 12 this time, he says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Even the darkest of places, God knows what's going on and it enters in and casts light. But why does all this matter? Why does it matter that God knows everything? Why does it matter that he knows us intimately? Why was it important that God knew the struggles of my heart? And here's the crux of it. This is where we land today. Because only by being fully known can we be fully loved. And God is love. If God only loves us without knowing us, it would lack authenticity. If God only knows us without loving us, goodness, I look at my situation and I find that terrifying, utterly exposing. But God fully knows us and through this and by his grace, he fully loves us. I look back at those times when I was craving the approval of others and God knew exactly what I needed. He directed me through it and corrected me in ways that only someone who really knew me could do. In my instance, it was circumstance that God used. Unbeknown to me, uh, in my first job at a uni with a company, I later realized would have the most unbelievably hard-nosed culture. God knew what was good for me and placed somewhere that had no room for people pleasing. People would speak so openly and honestly and at times it was really difficult but I look back on the six years that I worked there and I'm so much better for it. As many of you know, we were led to um, try and start a church here in London uh, when we first moved down and likewise, God used that situation to really shape me. I tell you, if you are someone who craves the approval of others, church planting is a really hard course of medicine. When people don't turn up, when people leave, when people ignore your support, it's really difficult. But again, God knew the secrets of my heart. He knew what was good for me and by his love, he caused me to change. It was during these years I really started to let go of what other people thought of me and understand the true identity of what God had given me. And it's this that I would say that I today I really genuinely pin my positivity on. By the love of God, that nagging concern of what people thought of me is gone. And I learned through that experience that God's love, and for those of you who were here last week and heard Jason's testimony last week, you'll know this is true from his story as well, that because he fully knows us, his love towards us is deeply personal. I'm going to invite Jamie and the band to come up and we're going to respond shortly. But before we do, I just wanted to unpack that thought 
about the personal nature of God's love. One of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible is Luke 15, and it's where we read of God's heart for each and every one of us. It's the chapter containing his, perhaps three of his most famous parables. In the first parable, he rebukes the Pharisees saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when it is found, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and then comes home, calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that I was lost, the parable of the lost sheep. The second one, the parable of the lost coin and he says, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. And of course, you all, I'm sure, know the third, the parable of the prodigal son, which paints this most vivid picture of a God whose grace knows no bounds for the individual, whom he fully knows, whom he fully loves. And so because he knows us, and in spite of what he knows, He fully loves us. He pursues us with a perfect personal love. And in his grace, he wants to enter deeper and deeper and deeper into that relationship with every one of us today. And if you'll so let him shape us into the fullness of who he knows we are, he is there waiting for you. So how might we respond to all of this today? Well, maybe you need to receive the freedom that comes with being fully known and fully loved. Maybe like me, you're holding things back from people around you. Maybe it's not necessarily because you're concerned about what people think of you or you're concerned about letting others down. Maybe it's because of shame. Shame is a horrible thing. Maybe it's because it feels safer keeping things to yourself. I want to invite you to receive a truth today that God already knows what you've done, what you're thinking, and what's going on in the depths of your heart, and he still loves you. You are fully known and fully loved, and God wants to help you realize a new freedom today because who the Son sets free is free indeed. So that's you this morning Why not come and receive prayer during worship? I want to encourage a second response as well. God is calling each of us as believers to love our neighbor. I was really inspired to hear what Anna had to share earlier. So intentional and so so strategic in her approach. He's calling us to love our friends, our colleagues, our communities. But like God, if we're going to love, we must first get to know them. So today, I want you to consider one thing you're going to do this week to get to know someone who needs your friendship. Maybe you're planning to invite someone to Alpha. You know, don't invite them first. Get to know them first. Take a moment during worship to get creative. Then take a pen, maybe write it down, diarize it in your phone. What are you going to do this week to get to know someone better? Maybe you're one of those London commuters. Why not be that person that strikes a conversation up with the guy you see every single day? 
So let's be a church that knows Jesus and allows him through fully knowing us to fully love us. But let's also be a church that first gets to know others around us so that we can be more effective in loving our neighbors just as they are. Let's worship.